It's not a one country thing, it's an African agenda. This is African Insight with Derek Mazarura. We embody comprehensive assessments of infrastructure projects on the African continent and all issues related to African development, inclusive landmark impulsions for Africa. Welcome to African Insights with Derek Mazarura. On the show, we traverse the far-reaching depths of infrastructure and all aspects of African development. In the midst of massive global technological frontiers, Africa ought to optimize its scientific research and development capacity. In relation to such, one element that must be taken with keen consideration is climate adaptation. Hence, this hour we delve into research and development science infrastructure in climate adaptation. Joining us to unpack the subject is firstly Jesse Owino, Deputy Regional Director and Senior Research Scientist in East Africa. Secondly, Senior Climate Specialist at Solidaridad Network, Dr. Samson Samuel Ogala. Thirdly, Dr. Wilson Mwandira, Chief Executive Officer at AGS Consulting Limited in Zambia. And last but not the least, Mwunda Mudenda, a biotechnology scientist. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. My name is Sam Ogala. Uh, I'm a development and climate change specialist. Uh, currently, I'm working for an organization called uh, Solidaridad Network. Uh, it's an international network organization of civil society organizations internationally, and then they are working in four, over 40 countries in five regions. But my role organization is a uh, senior climate specialist. My name is Jesse Wino. I am also a climate expert and a natural resource management expert in Africa, doing majorly research on forestry and allied natural resources. Hello, Derek, and uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Mundam Denda. I am a Zambian national, uh, but currently uh, living in Kenya, where I'm pursuing my master's uh, degree in biotechnology and molecular biology. Uh, this is being funded by the African Union under the Pan-African University Scholarship uh, Initiative. Thank you, Derek, for the invitation to participate uh, in this show. Jesse, get the ball rolling. Give us a concise narrative of the roadmap for research and development science infrastructure in climate change and adaptation in Africa, underpinning what has prompted such action, and what has that trajectory produced in terms of devising competent and compatible climate change adaptation infrastructure? In terms of climate change adaptation research in Africa and development, there's been a major focus in terms of getting Africa to get its numbers right, essentially for all the countries that are in play in terms of its various sectors. And in this place is whereby we have the first biggest challenge because getting data for emissions from African sectors is a very expensive undertaking. And what I know as of now is that 
there's been very small scale data collection initiatives for various African research agenda. And mm-hmm. you find there is focus on, let's say, for dairy emissions. And we have not even factored, let's say, change in land use emissions. We have not yet factored in issues, let's say, industrialization and urbanization and emissions coming from this sector, such that these gaps in this data has actually made it very difficult for African cases to truly know how best to target the adaptation opportunities for change, for climate change adaptation for various communities so that we can be able to know which sectors offer the best practices and the best opportunities for greenhouse gas emissions. And that is where the challenge is. But I believe because research is necessary and research is ongoing, we need to talk to more African scientists to integrate emission measurements and then collate this data, share, build a a large-scale database whereby we can be able to at least update and have big data showing that various emission sectors from Africa and Mm -hmm. this can be used very well to even target climate adaptation financing and also be able to target climate adaptation practices for various communities that we have. Thank you, Derek. Sam? I couldn't agree more with uh, the point raised by by, by, by Jesse. Uh, One of the challenges we've seen in the adaptation and mitigation, in fact, in the climate space sector in, in Africa, especially on the continent, has been that uh, data gap. And uh, without data, it becomes difficult to plan, uh, even interventions. So that is key to whatsoever we want to do if we want to you know, adequately address the challenges of uh, uh, climate change. So that infrastructure needs to be in place. And you know, the place of research and development is key for us to generate that. And, you know, you're talking about, uh, uh, you know, Africa as a whole. Look at most sectors. It's not only issues uh, relating to data, relating to climate, but most sectors, health, agriculture, mm-hmm. uh, infrastructure, tourism, and, and the rest. So we have uh, deficient data on the continent. And that is also hampering uh, adequate and effective planning and for interventions that are tailor-made and homegrown to address the challenges confronting the sector and especially the adaptation to climate change on the continent. Thank you. I'd want to add, want to add something from what Sam has also said. And if you look at the various countries' adaptation plans that various countries have actually put forth from Africa, you'd realize a lot of them are bereft of research data. They are generally policy statements that are idealistic still, but I've really known that with data, the policies, the quantifications would have been very different for the various adaptation activities that each country is targeting to do. So countries are generally using, for me, I've seen from the various adaptation plans that I read for the various countries, I see them borrowing majorly from the global Mm -hmm. West and trying to apply it as it is for the African case. Mawonda? Now, what's interesting to note about uh, climate change and climate management is that while Africa is a part of it, 
uh, you realize that this cause is being championed by the West and uh, the East. And rightly so, because uh, these guys have uh, a capacity to do so. They have a uh, capacity to manage uh, this this problem. We are not to a hundred percent, but uh, they are doing far better than we as uh, Africa are doing. And so, when when we talk about Africa's trajectory or the roadmap. Um, you only have to look at what the West or the East uh, are doing. Then you'll be able to understand uh, mm -hmm. the direction that Africa is heading when it comes to uh, combating climate change and also developing the infrastructure that is actually needed to be able to do so. So because of the effects of uh, climate change, we're seeing... Uh, Apart from Africa just uh, com are working to combat climate change because of the influence of the West and the East, uh, we are seeing also our African leaders taking it upon themselves uh, to call upon uh, national resources and uh, direct them uh, towards combating this, uh, this problem of climate change. And uh, uh, a lot of uh, innovation, uh, innovative uh, ways are being promoted like in universities we find uh, uh, students being encouraged uh, to write about how uh, the Africa can actually manage uh, climate change we find uh, the government also uh, promoting uh, innovative uh, ideas in line with science and technology uh, in the same uh, area of uh, climate change mm -hmm. so this is uh, happening all across Africa Ghana Nigeria Nigeria, Egypt, and uh, South Africa, and all else. Sam, in the context of climate change adaptation, how are branches of study like biotechnology indispensable to the invention of foods and climate-resilient crops? And what policy components are geared towards prioritizing nutrition and the health sector in the main in cases of development of such food security methods as 3D? Thank you, Derek. Um, the role of uh, biotechnology and especially agricultural biotechnology comes to play uh, in this discussion and at this point, because again, why are we even talking of the biotechnology? We look at the challenges to adaptation. Uh, let me just uh, zero in, uh, in the sector of agriculture. Our agricultural practices are yet to be modernized. We're having incidences of uh, crop infestations, uh, crop failure, declining in yield, all these things are you know, associated with climate change. And the business as usual, that mm -hmm. we can you know, you know, survive by you know, doing the uh, planting, what we used to, to know, the crops we used to know, and, and the rest on the continent is also becoming challenging. Even the soil themselves are being impacted. So if we must uh, you know, address the issues associated with food production, food security on the continent, then we have to look at the angle of biotechnology. Uh, I would say, it, you know, and in the development of food security, I would say it on the continent of Africa and in many African countries, we don't have shortage of policies. 
what we are lacking is policy implementation. So what we have is a uh -huh. review of the policies, the policies that are obsolete, that are no longer responsive to the needs of the current situation. Jesse? Yes, I, want, I have a different perspective. This issue of climate change and biotechnology being indispensable is, offers a crinkum-crankum scenario for our general African, especially the nutrition and health sector. Part of my thinking has always been this, and I'm happy Sam has actually talked about policies not being deficient. We know that to implement policy, it's a funding issue. But outside the funding issue, what indigenous innovative ways can we throw in to do policy implementation? And first, I'd always go with Africa is super diverse, and that is an advantage that we have. I've always wished for a review of indigenous foods and an appraisal of those plants in various communities in terms of their growing seasons, their availability and their abundance. Mm. Because I believe that most of the indigenous plants are already well adapted to the various climates in various parts of the continent and they would offer an advantage than exotic crops. We, some has talked about trying to in increase yield on reducing land space because of the subdivision and all these things. And you realize that in this Africa, subdivision is going to be continuing, especially with regards to smallholder lands because of the land tenureship that is being practiced in most areas in Africa. And here is whereby we talk about climate smart practices, whereby we can introduce activities such as use of farmyard manure, animal manure from either pastoral or livestock areas into the cropland areas so that we try and replenish as much of the mining that we are already doing on the smallholder farming systems. From various small studies that you can read through on agricultural production, smallholders are mining nutrients from the soil at a rate so high because of the current practices whereby you remove the harvest mm -hmm. and whatever is remained, you also remove it from the farm so that every other subsequent season, the soils are being depleted at a tremendous rate and we need to be able to replenish these nutrients to sustain the production focus with indigenous foods. And for me, I'm also thinking of diversification of practices within smallholders. Mawonda? While biotechnology may be key, uh, it's also important to note that uh, biotechnology is one uh, field of study that is so controversial or uh, that, that brings about a lot of uh, debate and conversation because what biotechnology essentially does is that uh, it hacks uh, life itself, whether in human beings, in animals, or in just uh, plants or our general environment, even microorganisms. It hacks over. If somebody has a genetic disease, biotechnology is offering a solution at a genetic uh, level. Uh, and so that ability to manipulate uh, the environment, uh, nature as we have it, and even human beings, mm -hmm. is about a lot of conversations about uh, safety and also uh, maybe religious and ethical conversations. And so um, if this field is going to grow and, being, uh, and be used to uh, promote uh, uh, the combating uh, climate change, then uh, it's also important that uh, sensitization and uh, awareness is done. Wilson? If you just look at the some of the things that um, agricultural biotechnology has done is that 
it has actually um, contributed to reducing environmental impacts of the pro uh, productive agriculture by increasing um, actually food security. When you look at um, food security, um, it's actually a global challenge, but with uh, biotechnology since the 1970s up to present, I think f food production has um, basically increased. Um, even without the, in uh, the, um, the need for increase in uh, uh, land clearance. So you can look at um, uh, hydroponics. Um, you use quite a small piece of land, but mm -hmm. your amount of uh, production in terms of food quantity and quality is actually improved. And secondly, when you look at um, agricultural biotechnology, you find that um, there's been a lot of work done in insect resistance crops because when you look at um, um, insect resistant crops they offer alternatives to actually not using chemicals and um, this has been actually been so so much targeted it's been effective and it's been sustainable in integrated pest management it would be good actually to look at um, uh, 3D printing, um, which is which is actually um, many actually refers to additive manufacturing. Um, this is a, a new processing uh, possibility to the food industry. Uh, this technology actually allows you to to allow the layer by layer printing. Of predefined uh, slices of designed and desired objects. So 3D printing potentially allows uh, rapid manufacturing of uh, complex um, food. But um, this complexity mm -hmm. is actually can bring about a revolution in the food processing uh, industry. Basically what you're talking about or what you're looking, looking at is um, the um, the food components which are important basically carbohydrates food uh, fat protein fiber and even functional components jesse why is research and development information protection and preservation critical for the mitigation of brain drain and information leakages to overseas and please assess the effectiveness of integrating scientific research and development for climate adaptation in curricular regime at grassroots level. Thanks. When you talk about issues of data protection and information protection being critical, this has heavily affected African science and majorly in, I want to start with the, the pure academic nature of research. Research essentially is scientists talking to scientists. And we have a very big gap in terms of scientists talking to policymakers. We also have another bigger gap in terms of scientists and packaging the information to communities that can be in a way that can be able to improve practices. And this comes in because the nature of the way science, especially on climate change, is happening within African space is still majorly academic and the funding is still majorly foreign. So you find information protection goes into the journals that cannot be easily accessed by African academia, journals that can also not be easily accessed by policymakers because 
Mm-hmm. Policymakers need a synthesized information. They do not need the scientific manuscript. They need information that is unpacked from the science that is now directing to a policy practice. And also our farmers and our the general communities need information that is not even talking from policy, but it is talking in terms of key practices that they need to do to be able to change their outlay. You, a key practice, I want to talk about something, sim, something as simple as weather information. The way weather information is packed, let's say uh, a rainfall, precipitation, temperature, and all that, does not make sense to a farmer in terms of when next is best to farm. That is the information that the farmer should be needing. What can I do with these small rains that have been predicted? What crops can I grow within a two-week rain window? That is how to unpackage climate and weather information to a, to a farmer. And for policymakers, when we realize that we are predicting drought is coming, what can we be able to do in terms of the policy direction that can focus some of the deliveries to cushion farmers from the drought impacts mm-hmm. of these issues? And that is why data and information protection becomes critical. Sam? Uh, I think uh, part of the issue is, uh, you know, this work, the research in silos and researchers speaking to themselves and not to the society. And then, you know, the issue of uh, Jesse talked on it, climate information services. You know, climate itself and all the issues related to climate are seen as abstract except you are in the climate space. So in itself, it's abstract, uh, as other people would see it. So we have this issue of demystifying climate change, demystifying the science of climate change, and getting it to you know, the target audience. You know, we have different audiences uh, if we want to make impact and demystifying this. How are we communicating this science? So the policymaker, like Jesse mentioned, how are we communicating it uh, to the media themselves and also to the ordinary person and the local farmers in the villages? So, you know, this is a huge gap that we need to fill. If the media that are supposed to be the channel of communication to the farmers mm-hmm. did not understand the science of climate change itself, Maybe a media person cannot, uh, you know, may not be able to differentiate between adaptation and mitigation and coping strategies. Then, what kind of information is such going to pass across? Wilson, when you look at uh, brain drain, actually, um, Africa has suffered so much in terms of brain drain um, because most of the educated and uh, talented workers actually go to other countries to to seek um, uh, employment. This trending is considered a problem because mostly high skilled and competent individuals leave the country and contribute to their expertise to uh, economies of other countries. So the country they live actually suffers economic um, hardships because mm-hmm. those who remain don't have the know-how to make, um, to make a difference. Basically, brain drain is prevalent in uh, developing countries, and um, there are quite a lot of negative repercussions. Uh, not only brain drain, but um, information leakage, because 
first of all, um, the countries will lose they, they will lose a lot of uh, tax revenue. Uh, not only that, but loss of potential future entrepreneurs, uh, a shortage of important and skilled workers. Uh, this exodus um, lead to loss of confidence in the economy, uh, which causes persons to desire to leave La La Land stay. Uh, um, there's a lot of loss of uh, innovative ideas, and because um, you look at the value of an innovation, then. Mm -hmm. In your own country, no one can turn that idea into a tangible product. So you feel at loss and say, okay, instead of me losing this innovation, let me take it to somewhere where it can be done. Sam, please cite and expand why research and development in question should gravitate towards the problem-solving and solution-sharing study of consequential air and waterborne diseases. And how have African countries' vaccine infrastructures, if any, fared during the COVID-19 period? And can this pattern be used to define Africa's future response capabilities? When we have the transdisciplinary research platform, we can come up with approaches to you know, uh, curriculum integration, which dissolves the boundaries between the conventional disciplines and organize teaching and learning, the platform that will bring science together with the society to co-create and co-generate solution. Because over time, we've discovered that science is not speaking to the society uh, in co-creation of problem solving. And so once we adopt this approach, and that is the way to go, especially in the current situation, uh, of climate change, airborne diseases, waterborne diseases, and in the modern age, mm -hmm. we need to now co-create our solutions. It shouldn't be science on one side and then society on the other side. And that has what has been the problem over time that we find ourselves up to date that most of the research we do and most of the developments we try to proffer is not adequately addressing the situation on the ground. Jesse? When Sam was talking about the transdisciplinary research should be the protocol to be used, he has made some key statements on the first part of this statement, and I wanted to unpack it this way. The issue of transdisciplinary research that we need to focus on is the iteration component of transdisciplinary research. That means the problem should be able to start from the community, be identified by a scientist, and to allow a policymaker to see how that problem is being solved, but to also allow feedback from the same problem-solving pathway to be responded to by the same person. If the farmer sourced it, the farmer should be part of the solution process, and the farmer should also be part of the policy formulation process for the same problem. That is how transdisciplinary research would be able to gravitate very well towards mm -hmm. problem solution, because it would allow many cooks to come into one problem and give different recipes. There is a scientist somewhere with floods or drought-related cycles data, but there's a policymaker who is not able to access that data and is making plans for disaster response to flooding issues and to drought responses based on just normal financial planning cycles of various governments. And that is the first disconnect. If you had, if you're able to know that flooding is increasing, 
you'd be able to plan in an increasing incremental way to be able to deal with that or to even plan in a landscape changing way to be able mm-hmm. to divert floods or slow them down or do things or even use them as resources in terms of crop agriculture wilson when you look at um from the time the pandemic came online we've seen how africa has responded um to the pandemic and I'll be quick to say because of our lack of research and development it's a known fact that Africa hasn't produced a vaccine secondly because we haven't produced a vaccine the other challenge is access to this vaccine we don't have the money to purchase and um, most of the african countries are actually reliant of the covax uh, program but I would want to look ahead. And, and, and this is where I think my main emphasis will come. Um, we have seen a lot of positives, uh, even in the pandemic, in that mm-hmm. <coughs> Africa has been able to dispute the little vaccines that have been given via COVAX in a very short period of time. And this is uh, one of the things that we see um, Africa's future response capabilities are one, is that one, we, are, we know how to distribute because we've been with these uh, pandemics for a long time. It's not only the, um, the COVID pandemic, but we have had a lot of um, diseases in Africa relative to other continents. Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, vaccine rollout has been actually more effective. We are going to take a quick break. And after the break, green funds and green investments, the fourth industrial revolution, STEM programs, neotech projects, and African capacity to perform change. Join us after the break. This is African Insight on Channel Africa, DSTV 802. Join me, Derek Mazarura, as we journey through the structure, beneath the structure, northeast, west, south, and central Africa to find the project, the meaning with the people, for the people. Every Wednesday mornings at 8, regional, national, sub-national, from Morocco's North Africa power transmission corridor to the eco villages in Togo, among many, all here on African Inside Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show. And if you're just joining us, we are focusing on research and development science infrastructure in climate adaptation in Africa. Jesse, to what extent are green investments and green funds impactful to research and development science infrastructure in climate change adaptation programs? And to achieve climate neutrality, where can harmonized and concerted efforts between governments and key stakeholders focus? We need homegrown and basic research to be funded by these funds to do only two things. The first thing should be data collection and sharing of data in the African space or in the global space for the various climate-related information. 
Mm. The second should be to develop and test various climate smart technologies in different parts of Africa. Sam? If uh, the African, you know, we have Africa Center for Disease Control, you know, I keep wondering, uh, you know, what, 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 what can be done beyond uh, disease control and prevention? Uh, when, when you look so far at the, the various financing architecture of climate change uh, globally, uh, we have various uh, you know, frameworks and architecture uh, to mention some, uh, you know, through multilateral processes like the Green Climate Fund, the Adaptation Fund, um, uh, the, the, uh, the Special Climate Change Fund, and, and to mention but a few. We have even bilateral uh, ones that comes between government to government funding green investments uh, on the continent between uh, countries. We also have some from international institutions or organizations. Mm. Once we, we look at the various investment uh, portfolios so far, in funding uh, climate change adaptation programs, they are more tilted towards mitigation rather than adaptation. The policy from, uh, of the, the goal of the Green Climate Fund is that uh, the resources will fund 50% adaptation, 50% mitigation programs. But when you look at the current disbursement and proposals and projects and programs that have been approved by the Green Climate Fund, you may agree with me that most of it were tilted towards uh, uh, mitigation rather than adaptation. Mm -hmm. Now, when you also look, apart from the African Development Bank, who is in the forefront, they have invested heavily in adaptation programs. Mwanda. How can the fourth industrial revolution be engaged without increasing technological inputs and unemployment levels? Please rate the quality of women and youth percentages assimilated in research and development science infrastructure in climate change adaptation and explain why STEM programs are foundational. Instead of focusing on uh, subjects in universities that are losing relevance each and every year that comes by, maybe we can think of uh, integrating uh, programs in universities that are actually going to make our people, uh, young people and everyone else, uh, more adaptable and, and, and uh, being able to, to survive and coexist. Uh, in this revolution that is uh, coming in. Mm -hmm. So we can talk of focusing on things like uh, computer literacy. Uh, if you look at uh, the, the statistics of uh, computer literacy in Africa, they're actually uh, worrying because we find there are so many people who are still finding it a problem to even open a computer or to operate uh, a, a minimal uh, smartphone. Some some of these uh, areas of study or jobs that are currently uh, being taught in our universities will lose value in the next two, three, four years. Okay, but there are things like soft skills that are actually uh, won't lose value and, and in more ways will actually help an individual to survive. We can talk of things like active listening or creativity, critical thinking and uh, problem solving, complex problem solving. All those are uh, soft skills mm -hmm. that... Uh, 
uh, machinery cannot be at least let's say at this moment be able to take away from uh, from human beings yeah so maybe instead of being afraid that uh, this revolution may actually uh, bring a lot of unemployment maybe let's be focused on uh, how we can make our people more adaptable uh, let's teach things like uh, computer programming, things like Python, uh, the things that are trending and that's what the industrial revolution is actually uh, built on. And so if we can have uh, mm -hmm. skills uh, imparted in our people, then uh, even uh, the better. Jesse? When you talk about fourth industrial revolution, we cannot talk about fourth industrial revolution in Africa without talking about the youth and technology and sharing of this technology. Some of these things in the world, they, the blueprint has already been tested. We know Silicon Valley works because first of all, there's a platform to share finances, meet developers, and also problem test. There's a, there's a whole community around that space. We've got an invasive tree species in parts of East Africa called Prosopis juliflora. This has, research has shown that we can manage it through utilization. Utilization would mean either use it for burning charcoal. Mm -hmm. We have to shorten the food value chains of various sectors by making sure farmers are able to meet consumers in the shortest pathway with just the youth and the women offering transportation, organization, bulking uh, services within these issues. And here is where STEM is most realized. Sam? Are African regions and Africa as a whole well capacitated to formulate and maintain a sustainable transition into science-based economies? Put us in perspective of near-tech projects underway in research and development earmarked to revolutionize response to climate change and generic contingency in Africa. I will look at value addition in the transition to a science-based economy. And again, it goes back to transdisciplinary research. It goes back to science, uh, you know, homegrown, uh, you know, research and technologies. And then how do we then add value to what we already have? That will leapfrog our development and our transition. The basic science are here. The knowledge is here. Once we can build that and anchor it in the transdisciplinary mm -hmm. uh, space, then we are good to go. Africa has all it takes to become whatsoever we want to be. All we need to do now is to dig deeper. Gentlemen, thank you for affording us your standpoint. I just want to remember, remind you that I appreciate this forum and have it available on as many platforms as possible. Thank you so much, Derek, for having me uh, on your show and uh, my friend Jesse as well for the great insight. Thank you, Delik. It's been a pleasure to uh, be found uh, to discuss this uh, topic with you. That marks the end of our show. The disconnect between scientists and policymakers can be mitigated by first understanding that working in silos cannot heal our nations. We must come together through sectorial integration for one common goal, which is building Africa and establishing a fulfilling legacy. That is doing the right thing, for doing it right is 
the African way. Join me again next week, same time, as we explore the structure beneath the structure right here on African Insights. My name is Derek Mazarura and it's bye for now.